0: The text for the proclamation this morning is Matthew 26, the verses 52 to 54. We'll read those verses again, 52 to 54. But Jesus said to him, to to Peter then, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So far, the text. Beloved people of God, this may the world's going to remember that it was 70 years since the end of the Second World War. A lot of celebrations are planned, but the the great turning point in that war uh, happened actually on D-Day, the turning point, when the Allies, you know, landed on the coast of Normandy in June 1944. And from that time on, the war basically went the way of the Allies. It went on longer than it expected, but less than a year later, the war was over. The guns fell silent. And history was changed. D-Day, a turning point. In our text in Matthew 26, another turning point in history is about to take place. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is about to embark on the greatest battle ever in the whole history of the universe. And the turning point actually takes place in our text, because there, the Lord Jesus shows that this battle for the universe isn't going to be fought with swords or spears or ships and tanks and guns the weapons of this world it isn't so so trivial a battle that it would be decided by such earthly weapons powers no this is a battle that would result in the death of the Lord Jesus the Son of God but ultimately his death would bring about the greatest victory of all time. The victory of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, Jesus went into this battle willingly and obediently He knew exactly what was going to take place and yet he faced that coming betrayal of Judas with courage, determination. He was not a victim. He was in control of everything that was happening. His death was his own choice. He didn't have to come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And even after he came there, he could have come quietly and left discreetly. He need not have provoked the authorities by riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey as he did to the cries of Hosanna to the son of David. He need not have made a scene by cleansing the temple of money changers and traders. He need not have admonished the leaders of the people by telling parables about the end of God's patience with Israel. And even there in the garden of Gethsemane, He knew what would happen there, and he didn't have to go there. And even after he had gone there, he could have gone quietly into the night and unobtrusively left Jerusalem for safety among friends somewhere else. Indeed, as as we read in our text, he even could have called down 12 legions of angels at any moment to simply blast all his enemies away with heavenly power. He didn't do any of those things. He resisted any temptation to do those things, but calmly, willingly accepted and walked the path that he knew would lead to his death. His suffering, his descent into hell, and his death. So he died on that Good Friday, not as victim of injustice, but he died because he chose to die And he chose that in the place of others. Well, in that context, Jesus wouldn't allow Peter to spoil everything by doing something foolish. When those men sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people stepped forward and laid hands on Jesus, one of those with Jesus, we're told in verse 51, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. All four Gospels relate this So it must be important for us to note too then. John tells us that the disciple who drew the sword was Peter. And he tells us that the servant whose ear was cut off was was named Malchus. And Luke tells us in in his gospel that Jesus healed this man's ear. Peter probably wanted to slice the man's head in half, but, he, but the man dodged, and Peter's aim wasn't that great, so he only managed to slice his ear off. If you think about it, Peter was actually kind of brave, wasn't he? There he was. Uh, he was willing to take on a whole crowd of men with clubs and swords all by himself to protect his master. Maybe he just lost it for a moment, hey, and the, the emotion of the moment. In any case, he struck out. But Jesus told him to put his sword away and he healed Malchus' ear. And Jesus calmly faced the injustice and the suffering and the hellish agony and the God-forsakenness he knew was coming to him. And he faced it alone because all the disciples scattered And Peter also took off because he didn't know what to do. But the point of our text for this morning is that Jesus gave Peter three reasons to put away his sword. Three reasons why drawing his sword was not the way forward. And that's our theme. Three reasons Jesus gives Peter to put his sword away. Three reasons. And those three reasons are as follows in our text. You can follow them in the text. This battle cannot be fought with worldly weapons. That's the first one. And the second, don't think God is not in charge. That's number two. And thirdly, realize that the scriptures will be fulfilled. So first of all, The Lord Jesus, the first reason the the Lord Jesus gives is this battle cannot be and will not be fought with worldly weapons. After uh, Peter swung his sword around, struck the servant's ear, Jesus said to him in the text, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Verse 52 then. Now this saying is kind of like a proverb. A sharp brief statement of wisdom. And like all proverbs. It's not an absolute rule. There will always be situations. Where it doesn't apply. For instance where there's legitimate use of the sword. By the government to protect its citizens. Think of what it says. Romans 13. About God giving the government the sword. To prevent murder. However. In Peter's immediate circumstances, this proverb makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Verse 47 tells us, Judas had arrived with a great multitude with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people. Well, what could Peter do with one sword against that whole mob of people? What was he going to accomplish? Certainly in those circumstances, it would be good for him to heed that proverb. Because if he wanted to fend off that mob with his one sword, he'd in all probability uh, be killed by the sword himself. All who take the sword will die by the sword. Violence does not, and that's the principle here, violence does not bring about life itself, but can only take life But there's more to Jesus' proverb than just that. There's a deeper lesson here. And that lesson, you could maybe summarize it. Whoever wishes to promote the kingdom of God and the life of that kingdom has to do that with spiritual means and not using the weapons of this world. And you know how that was tried many times in history, at the time of the Crusades, they went out with whole armies, with sword, with terrible effect. And look at how so many are trying to conquer the world for their religion today with weapons of war. For instance, ISIS in the Middle East. And Al-Shabaab in Kenya. No, the, the kingdom of Christ is promoted not by taking up the sword but by bringing the gospel of the cross. As the Apostle writes, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it's the gospel that has to conquer in the kingdom of God. Not control, not force. And you can think of the, what the apostle writes in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, But against principalities, against powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, against them you take up the sword of the word, he says. The armor of God. So, congregation Jesus was speaking of waging spiritual war. He himself was going to win the battle over satan and his dominion not by exerting violence and force and control but by giving his life on the cross and that's how there's victory for the kingdom of heaven by christ giving himself up for sin dying for others and that gives us the picture of how to wage Spiritual war as citizens of Christ's kingdom. Not wielding physical power. A physical sword. But the sword of the word. Abiding in that word ourselves. And holding out that word. That gospel of salvation to others. And that's... that's. A battle that has to be waged not by killing others, but by dying yourself. Dying to sin rather than maintaining life as it is by nature. It means taking up your own cross daily and following Christ. It means choosing to be wronged rather than standing on our rights It means loving your enemies rather than hating them. It means dying rather than fighting. That's how the Lord Jesus wants his followers to wage war. Not by killing others with the sword, but by dying to sin ourselves. Even if that means giving up our physical life. Do we follow our Savior in this congregation? It's not easy to fight that battle, is it? It's a lot easier to fight the physical battle, to take up the weapons of this world. It's not easy to, to deny yourself, to die yourself. By nature, we like to stand on our rights, assert ourselves. By nature, we don't like to turn the other cheek. By nature, we don't want to walk that extra mile with our brother or sister. By nature, we don't like to forgive as we have been forgiven. But that's the battle our Lord directs us to fight in our text rather than taking up the means that this world uses to assert itself and ensure itself of, of its own life. No, the way of the kingdom of Christ is different from the way the things work in this world. As Jesus also said, for who desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the first reason Jesus told Peter to put away his sword is that the battle for his kingdom isn't going to be fought with worldly weapons, but spiritual ones. And that brings us to the second reason Jesus gave Peter to put away his sword. Don't think that God is not in charge. In verse 53, the Lord Jesus says, Or do you think that I could not, cannot now pray to my Father, and he will give, provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? You know that a a Roman legion at the time was 6,000 men. Twelve legions of angels was 72,000 mighty angels, mighty soldiers of God. Twelve legions, one for each, one each for Jesus and the 11 disciples there with him. Imagine, 72,000 angels surrounding Jesus and the 11 there in the Garden of Gethsemane. What could that that mob there do, that little mob that had pulled out, that had drawn out against them? And Jesus just had to say the word, and they'd be there instantly. In that context, Peter should realize his sword was totally unnecessary, right? Put that sword away, Peter. Don't think that my Father in heaven is somehow standing by watching helplessly, wringing his hands, wondering how all this is going to turn out. What's going to happen to his son? No. Peter don't ever think that God is not in charge. But he has totally everything in his control. That's what the Lord Jesus was telling Peter and tells us through Peter here. Jesus wasn't going to use the weapons of this world to fight the battle he was facing at that moment. He was going to deny himself completely. Accept the injustice. Accept everything that was coming, even to hell and to death on the cross. He wasn't going to use worldly means to avoid his task, to bring salvation for his own, to establish his kingdom, even though he could have. So easily. Just breathe the word. He wasn't going to use supernatural means to avoid his God-given task. That supernatural help was certainly available. Twelve legions of angels. But if Jesus made use of that supernatural help at that time to deal with that injustice and to avoid what was about to come over him, It would mean the collapse of his kingdom. It would mean no salvation for his people forever. In fact, as someone has said, the whole universe would cave in on itself. And Jesus didn't want that. That's not why he came. So he resisted any temptation to make any use at all of the great power at his disposal. He emptied himself And submitted himself willingly and readily to the suffering that God had laid out for him. The suffering required to atone for the sins, all the sins of his own. To redeem them. Jesus came and willingly submitted himself as he did, as he said himself, said beforehand, to give his life as ransom for many. So Peter didn't need to think that God had lost control of the situation and was therefore up to to him to step in and make up for God's powerlessness somehow. No, the death of Jesus Christ was God's plan and purpose. And Jesus was obedient to that plan and purpose. In Jesus' arrest, God's purpose was not arrested. No, his purpose was to save sinners through the death of of through his own death and he wanted to stick to that purpose and just think about how it how it turned out in the end that angry mob that had taken up the sword against Jesus experienced the truth of Jesus saying that all who would take the sword would die by the sword because just 40 years later those sword and club wielding Jews saw watched helplessly the total destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. And if they were still living themselves at that time, saw the death of a million of their countrymen. But the man who refused to fight with the sword, the man Jesus Christ, who is also God, who died on the cross, rose victorious And the gospel of his death and resurrection has gone out through the world and millions and millions of people have come to real life through that gospel. 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is still gathering and building his church and kingdom by the power of his spirit, working through that gospel. So Congregation Peter should have realized at that time that God was in control of everything that taking everything that was happening there with Jesus. Jesus could have called legions of angels to destroy those who had come out against him at the time, but he didn't. He resisted for us. He stuck to God's plan for our salvation. And, and the lesson For us is that because of Christ God works everything too so that for us so that not a hair can fall from the heads of those he died for without the will of God the Father. And indeed, all things must work together for their salvation. All things must work together for our salvation. All things. Not some. All. Often, You know, we wonder about that, right? How can this contribute to my good? To my progress? To my salvation? And you know, if we question that a lot, then the temptation is for us to try to manipulate things in worldly ways so they turn out for our benefit. But then we forget God's purpose for us in Christ, to have all things work together For our salvation. And as people who belong to Christ, we simply, simply need to do our task and calling in obedience to God's will, and then also trust that our Father in Christ will work everything for our good, for our salvation in the end. We just need to obey and leave the rest. In his hands. So Jesus teaches that his kingdom comes not by worldly weapons. And that we should remember that God is always in charge. And then we come to the last reason Jesus gave for telling Peter to put away that sword. Realize that the scriptures will be fulfilled. Jesus said to Peter, verse 54 how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus, this way? He even repeats this to those men who had been sent by the leaders of the Jews to arrest him in verse 56 later on. He says, but, he says to them, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. if the Lord Jesus had somehow given Peter superhuman power so he could handle that crowd by himself like Samson had done to the Philistines centuries before, or if he had called those 12 legions of angels to destroy that mob, then what the scriptures said about him would not have been fulfilled. And those scriptures were all about the promise of of his coming and about the work of salvation he would accomplish for his people. And for centuries, thousands of years in fact, God had given people hope through those promises in Scripture and those prophecies. If Jesus used the power available to him, those Scriptures would not be fulfilled. But he wanted them to be fulfilled. Everything written in the scriptures. And that is because all of those Old Testament scriptures were about him. It was all about him. You know, think of the obvious Old Testament prophecies fulfilled even in this short incident in Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus. Think about the scriptures fulfilled there. The fact that Judas turned traitor fulfilled Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And the fact that the mob came out against Jesus fulfilled Psalm 3, verse 1. Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. And that the Savior would be arrested as a common criminal was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors. And that the disciples were scattered afterwards was prophesied in Zechariah 13, verse 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. A prophecy which Jesus mentions himself as being fulfilled when the disciples fled in the garden. He mentions that before our text, verse 31. And how else but through the events in Gethsemane would Isaiah 53 verse 7 be fulfilled. He was was oppressed and afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And you could come up with more. More Old Testament scriptures, prophecies that we could point out as being fulfilled by Jesus during that time of his arrest, his capture. The scriptures prophesied Christ's work. Totally everything he would do for salvation. That was laid out in the scriptures right from the beginning of time already. Everything happened as the scriptures said they would even when it didn't seem It didn't seem that it was possible for it to happen that way. Remember how we considered last Sunday how the Sanhedrin planned to put Jesus to death, but not during the Passover. But you remember how his death and crucifixion took place exactly on the Passover. And how Jesus then showed himself obviously to be the Passover lamb to fulfill all Passover lambs. Well, he stopped Peter from waving his sword around because he wanted to fulfill the scriptures obediently, taking the way to the cross, to the suffering, to the forsakenness, into hell, to death. He would fulfill everything that had to be fulfilled for salvation. And doesn't that... Give you great confidence in all that Jesus has still promised us in the gospel to bring it all to a conclusion. Doesn't that give you confidence in that? He's with us, He's coming again. He will bring us own to glory, and he won't deviate one tiny bit from any word that He spoke about that in the Bible. It will happen. So in conclusion, congregation, Jesus' words to Peter to put away his sword and tell us not to fight for his kingdom with worldly weapons, but simply by obeying the Lord and dying to sin ourselves. That's how the, the battle will ultimately be won. And Jesus' words show us that God is in charge. We don't have to doubt that he will now also work Because of Christ, he will now also work in everything for our salvation, even if we don't see how that's possible. And Jesus' words tell us that he perfectly fulfilled the Scriptures that night and the following day. And that means we can fully trust in all the promises of Scripture, that that Scripture contains all the promises for us and for this world We can trust that they will most certainly come true. Amen.